We are only two days away from one of the most significant days on the American calendar every year. Yes, in just over 48 hours, the Lombardi Trophy will once again be handed to the best football team on the planet. Countless pizzas and chicken wings will be devoured. Many, many beers will be drank. And millions of football fans will complain about Jim Nance fawning over Taylor Swift during the course of the game. I want to watch the game, not the sweets, Jim. Anyway, this particular Super Bowl carries even more passion than normal in central Iowa, with many of Iowa State's loyal fans cheering for the 49ers to win as they hope former Cyclone Brock Purdy can claim the title and potentially a Super Bowl MVP after he got snubbed for the regular season MVP in favor of Lamar Jackson. Opposed to these 49ers fans here in Ames, we have folks like myself, um... (laughs) who have been loyal Chiefs fans for years and uh, we won't abandon our team even though we do still love Brock. Uh, So my hope for the game, a high-scoring Chiefs victory where Brock still has a good game for San Francisco and Travis Kelsey stays relatively quiet so the cameras stay on the gridiron and not on whichever booth uh, Swift is in. Today is Friday, February 9th. I'm Matt Menson. And welcome to the Cornfield Sports Pod. Uh, as always, we got Blake. And with us today, we've got our producer, Vinny Cataldo. Since we're uh, going remote today, studio was unavailable. Um, and, you know, we got an awful lot to talk about today. Uh, Super, Bowl is, Super Bowl is the big headliner. We have to start there. Um, but, uh, Blake... What's your initial thoughts here with the Super Bowl? First first thing that comes to mind. Super Bowl needs to be a national holiday. I think that's I think that's a comp, like common knowledge right there. But honestly, I'm very much in, into this like into this matchup. Yeah. Uh Super Bowl absolutely I I agree it should be a national holiday. I don't know why it's not. The real debate is whether the day after should be a national like hangover holiday. that's what i kind of agree with i would agree that the next day should because the amount of drinking the amount of like eating people do it just they feel like crap the next day so they literally have to be able to you know the other option is you could move the super bowl to a saturday no i kind of like it on a sunday i mean it's, it's always been super bowl sunday so it makes the most sense exactly yep i don't know i still i'm still of the opinion that from between games, game one and the final game of the World Series, that should all be one giant holiday. We should like all get work off for that and just have a never-ending World Series. Well, not never-ending, mm-hmm. but just a days-long World Series party. But that idea doesn't little, seem little, to be getting a little any bias, traction. But not, a little bias, but not a lot. Only a little bit. My idea doesn't Only seem to be getting bit. any traction, though. Um, I don't know. You, what about you, Vinny? First thoughts on the Super Bowl here. I'm excited for it. Um, you know, we got a rematch from 2020. Um, you know, we've got a whole new set of teams. Um, so it'll be interesting whole to see. Whole new? Well, in terms of, like, San Francisco, I mean, they didn't have Purdy when they first played against the Chiefs in 2020. So mm-hmm. this is gonna it's going to be an interesting game. I'll, I'll say that for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the things I wanted to point out, and I, and I saw in this reported uh, uh, a couple other places, but some coincidences from four years ago 
it was these two teams in the Super Bowl and the, the I Chiefs saw that exact that. same thing. I saw but that yes, exact same thing. The uh the Chiefs played and beat the 49ers 31 uh to 20 four years ago. Also four years ago, it was also a leap year. That happens every four years. And it was also a presidential election year, which happens every four years. But it was also Trump and Biden. <laughs> uh that so it's just that's just kind of wild the the coincidences that some things change, but man, do they stay the same. Um, we can't. We can't also forget what happened in 2020. Yeah, there was lots of other things that happened in 2020. Oh, uh, yep. But yeah. this is yep. a sports yep. podcast, so we're uh, we're gonna leave those alone. Um, yeah, we'll leave that alone. Uh, but, uh, this this there, time this time around, let's let's just see, let's just see how pretty pretty does against uh, Mahomes. Yeah. Not not everything's the same this time. I mean, back then the Chiefs were a lovable underdog that uh, had not uh earned a dynasty title yet and now they are uh certainly uh embracing that villain role as people are getting tired of seeing them and want to see somebody else um, yeah they definitely saw that uh with with the patriots and tom brady and just anywhere like tom brady went like i was definitely one of them like i just it was around that time where i didn't care that the chiefs won i just wanted tom brady to lose well, that's because you you embrace that role for every team except your own team. Yeah, it's like imagine, imagine being a cowboy fan who got to see Tom Brady's final game, which was a loss to the Cowboys. <laughs> imagine imagine being a cowboy fan where half of the cowboy fans alive haven't seen their team make it to the NFC Championship game. <laughs> Matt, remind them, uh, mine, my team. Yeah, he's a Broncos fan. Hey Vinny, um, he's seen his team win multiple Super Bowls in the time that you've been alive. Eh, well, only one. Is it only one? I thought they had uh, two in that Peyton Manning run. Hmm. Peyton Manning. They was it just the one? Peyton, Peyton Manning won won his last one, and then uh, it was Broncos versus uh, Seahawks for another one. Right. They won. And... That, that's my. That's my that's my current. Memory. Yes, that's right. His he's only Peyton's got two two Super Bowls total. One at the Colts, one at the Broncos. Yep. 1997, 1998, and 2015 were the Broncos years. Yeah, well, so Manning, one, Manning, Manning Manning wasn't at the uh, at the Broncos in the nineties. He was uh, he was a rookie at the Colts in ninety eight, if I'm not mistaken. He would have been young too in ninety eight. That's crazy to think about. Uh, yeah, but anyway. Um, there, uh, Blake, the spread on this one, San Francisco minus one and a half. What's your take on it? It just might come down to that, but it's, it's, it's really up in the air for me because this can either be, this can either be a blowout win for the Chiefs, the way I'm seeing it, or Purdy's going to keep it really close. But if, but if Purdy can get can get the team to win, then it's not going to be my much. So I think, I'm very I'm very much fifty fifty on this. Well, you got to pick one team to cover. Who are you picking? Who covers? I'm gonna go with Yo Chiefs. All right, Vinny. I'm gonna say the Chiefs too. You know me. I'm not gonna pick anybody other than the Chiefs for this one. <laughs> Um, says yeah because you're wearing the chiefs outfit right now yes i am um 
But, uh, I mean, my, my explanation behind it, aside from just being a slightly delusional Chiefs fan, um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that both of these teams are going to come out guns a-blazing. I think that for both teams, the offense is better than the opposing defense. Uh, both teams have good defenses, but I, I think that these are two of the best offensive talents in the NFL. So uh, I, I think that this is going to end up being a, a relatively higher scoring game. I think that the over the over is set to 47.5 right now last I looked. I think that the over is definitely going to hit. Um, but, uh, you know, when a high scoring game happens, uh, the difference tends to be uh, exaggerated a little bit more. Um, you know, the proportion of points might be the same as a lower scoring game, but that increases the spread on the points. I think the Chiefs are going to win it, and I don't think it's going to come down to a last-second field goal. So I, I got to say Chiefs Chiefs cover on this one. Yep. And this was the Super Bowl that we definitely should have gotten last year. And this and this year, Brock Purdy got just what he deserved, What just what he deserved from last year into this year. So I'm very happy with this matchup. Well, I was going to say because last year the, uh, the 49ers – Pretty much the only reason they didn't make it was because Brock Purdy got injured uh, against mm-hmm. the Eagles, and so the Eagles ended up advancing instead. Um, and, and the 49ers last year were a better team than the Eagles, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, they uh, they broke Brock Purdy last year, and this year Brock Purdy broke the Eagles. <laughs> uh, once, uh, once the 49ers got that win over Philadelphia, uh, Philly's season crashed and burned all the way uh, through the wild card round where it uh, then proceeded to meet its demise. So. But, uh, yeah. The game will be at 5.30 Central Time. CBS. Um, CBS does it best. They do. They're, uh, I mean, Jim Nance and Tony Romer, great, great, uh, great announcing team. Uh, I, they're also doing, they're also, CBS is also broadcasting this on, uh, Nickelodeon as well with Ian Eagle doing play-by-play on that one. And then they have, Ooh, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know Ian Eagle was doing that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm going to be watching the regular CBS broadcast because but I can we just agree the, uh... that Nickelodeon is doing the, one of the greatest things ever. Yes. And they are going to have the opening, the sweet victory from SpongeBob. Mm-hmm. We were robbed yes. from it freaking five years was, ago yeah it was five i think i think it was five years ago it had it had to have been it we, it's been like so long but we're finally getting the redemption that we need nah this 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 is redemption honestly it is and i can't i kind of want to tune into that before i watch the real thing on cbs i'm uh i don't know i'm gonna go with the uh true adult football fan and just stick with the cbs broadcast from the beginning of the pregame show to the end of the postgame and the uh trophy ceremonies and all that um you know every time i i mean i shouldn't say every time because they uh they the chiefs did lose that one uh super bowl to, to brady and the bucks but uh i mean the Chiefs have been consistent when I've been, you know, watching it start to finish, beginning of pregame to the end of the postgame. We're not changing it now. So I will make sure I have uh, chips and something to dip them in, probably some salsa. Because, you know, I just I got to have that. So, but, uh, yeah. 
Chiefs Kingdom reigns for at a minimum the next two days and uh, hopefully the next entire year. That's uh, that's my final thought on the Super Bowl here. Mm-hmm. But uh, we got we got lots of lots of stuff to get to on today's episode here. Uh, let's let's talk some Cyclone basketball. Uh, in the oh, last boy. week here, uh, last Saturday, uh, lost at Baylor in on a buzzer beater that did not get off in time. One uh, of the one of the wildest games I have ever watched. That game was bizarre, and we had no business being in it. Not absolutely none. I said I said it was contender for the most Iowa State way to lose. Like it, it like was looking looking at our football. Looking at some of our football ways to lose. It's, it was a very chaotic game, but, I mean, just a, a, a series of details about this game here. I mean, Baylor had a massive lead at one point in this game. Uh, we had way too many missed free throws. We went dry from the floor for about the last seven minutes. The That same time span in the second half, our defense turned from defense into basically just fouling. Um which resulted in Baylor missing the front end of two one and ones, which was the only reason we were able to stay in it in the first place. We, they gave up about four points there, and even after all of that, we were still about point one seconds away from claiming a victory because Milan Momchilovic uh, banked uh, that uh, buzzer shot, but he did not get it off. So at that point, I was laughing so hard of how bad we played that game. But as soon as I heard the entire Baylor fan base cheer after that shot, I was like, That, uh, I don't know. We we had no business even being in that game. The end result of that game made it look a lot better for us than it actually was. So I'll I'll take it for what it's worth. But, uh, for... The third game in a row at this point, uh, Baylor head coach uh, Scott Drew uh, was he was teed up. Well, that so wasn't his I mean, third game in a row getting teed up. Yeah, I was I was gonna explain that because like that sounded out of context, but it was it was the third game it was the third game in a row for a opposing coach against Iowa State to get teed up. Yes, but uh, Scott Drew actually ended up getting ejected for crossing. For crossing the coach's box, right? Which I was actually glad to see uh, official actually enforce that rule for once, because most of the time that that uh, most of the time that rule is just outright ignored. Yeah, yeah she's <clears throat> one of them. Yeah, where is that? Where is she that? might be the most egregious example. Dude, like, I don't know how many times she's crossed that line, but I'm telling you right now, she's crossed it more than any coach ever. Yet she somehow... spends more time outside of the box than in it. Oh, absolutely. she's hit other players. She's hit she's the ref. Hit the ref she's hit the ref. She's hit the ref. And yet somehow the refs are like, oh, I like your outfit. I'm just going to let you pass. Like her outfit? I love, do it. They, love it. Do they really? I mean, that's, uh, I hate the girl, but damn, her outfits are kind of nice. Uh, that's a hot take. Uh, that is that's a, a very hot take. <laughs> her outfit that she wore in the championship against the team out east, I mean... It yeah, half bad. half the time though she's dressed like grandma's couch. Okay, that's fair. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. And the other half the time dressed like an ostrich. So yeah. 
Yep, um, yep, an ostrich. But some uh, of her outfits yeah. are not that bad. They're actually pretty cool. Yeah, every now and then a blind squirrel gets a nut. Um, that, that's my opinion on that. Mm-hmm. So, um, a lot of a lot of people did say that Scott Drew's reason for getting ejected was was kind of ridiculous. But like, if but by rule, I mean, they that's, enforce that's the, the rule. And uh, Jerome Tang should have been teed up for the exact same thing a couple <laughs> weeks ago here when uh, they were playing at Iowa State. That it would have been at the time of the game. That would have been Jerome Tang's first technical. Um, so assuming he didn't, he wouldn't have avoided the uh, the second technical that he had later in the game. Then he actually would have been ejected as well. Because uh, Jerome Tang, not only did he leave the coaching box, he crossed half court. So crossed half, crossed half court uh, when the ref was talking to TJ. Because yeah. I remember that. Yeah, which uh, coaches are only allowed to cross half court uh, either a if one of their players gets injured uh, and they need to, you know, coach and medical staff, trainers, you know, et cetera, need to go over and uh, administer to them. And uh, also, they are allowed to cross half court at halftime when they're going to the locker room. That uh, that is also allowed. Aside from that, that's pretty much it. Coaches How cannot just gonna, cross half court. Get to the locker room. Coaches cannot just uh, cross half court like that. No. But uh, enough about K State because we've talked about them enough in the last couple of weeks, and there's not really any new developments. Um, Coach Ott's ability to keep his composure, though is just looking better and better and better because he hasn't given officials any reason to give him a tech for anything. I mean, he keeps his cool. He doesn't say much. He's staying in the coach's box. I haven't seen him leave it even once. I'm sure he has at some point, but again, it's a rarity that I'm not thinking of any examples. Um, But, you know, he's not making any errors here while other teams not only are making unnecessary errors, they're making them and getting caught by the officials too. Um, and, you know, this is, that's kind of a new thing where the officials are actually enforcing the, the coaches rules. And, you know, it's like you said, Blake, a lot of the Baylor fans are, are mad because he only broke the coaching box rule a little bit, yeah. but you know, what good is a rule if you're going to be allowed to break it a little bit? And then how much is a little bit, you know, you have to have some kind of an objective standard. And so the rule itself needs to be that objective standard. So, I mean, kudos to the big 12 refs for actually doing a good job for once. Um, and then oddly enough, after this game, you know, when the, the refs are doing uh, actually a, a fairly good job by big 12 standards, you know, it was Baylor director, uh, athletic director, Mac Rhodes, had a comment that he got fined 25,000 bucks for, for, for comments on the officiating here, Blake. You want to read that off? Yeah, I can read it off. Just a couple comments on the officiating. I don't normally do this. For those of you that don't know, I'm not somebody who calls the officials or calls the league after every game. I never call when it comes to officiating. It's always about, hey, we need we need to play better. We need to execute better. We need to play tougher, all those things. But tonight was an embarrassment for this league. Scott said it. We have the best basketball league in the country, and the officiating tonight does not match that, period. End of story. This league needs, needs to get better when we think about our officiating. And we have some great, great officials, but this particular crew tonight did not match the level of this game. And that should not happen in this league. And I'm going to fight for our program. 
I'm going to fight for our school. I'm going to fight for our coaches, and I'm going to fight for our student-athletes. For this, he was fined $25,000. Do you think that's a slap in the wrist? I mean, most games in the Big 12, a statement like that is totally warranted. Most. And this game, ironically, was the exception. So, I I, I don't know. 25000 bucks. It's not like athletic directors are making, you know tens of millions of dollars like you know some some uh i mean that's the same kind of fine you would see you know if a, an nba player makes comments about the officiating only the nba player is making orders of magnitude more money so a slap on the wrist eh, that's a pretty hard slap if you're an athletic director um but that's that's about all the statement i have on that i'm you know most games most games, that's a perfectly accurate statement to make, regardless of whether or not the Big 12 likes it. Uh, this game in particular might be the lone exception, at least in terms of so. men's ball. I guess we had the uh, women's game against Oklahoma State last week that was also officiated really well. Because yeah. I think for this game that there were many calls that were that were obviously in our favor, Baylor didn't like, but you think you think they were the right calls? For the most part, yes. Yeah. Um, a lot of the stuff ended up evening out pretty close to the end of the game, and I think depending on you know which team was being streaky, I think that uh, made a big difference as to you know what fouls were occurring and what wasn't. Uh, Baylor struggled with fouls when Iowa State was making that comeback attempt, uh, and then at the end when Iowa State was trying to close it out, uh, and they were failing, they were struggling, they started committing a whole lot of fouls. So, which tends to be how that kind of stuff goes. So, that uh, I, I think most of those calls were justified exactly as they were, even if some of them were a little bit soft. It was soft both ways, and not, or and they were still justifiable calls. Uh, they weren't just absolutely ridiculous. Um, but we have a whole other game that we got to talk about here yet before we move on to uh, any of our other teams yet. Uh, win against Texas on Tuesday. How much of this game did you see uh, since it was on the Longhorn Network? I, I was able to watch it. it. Okay, I was able to because watch it. Because the Longhorn cause... Network sucks. Exactly. But I was able to get Longhorn Network. My hometown cable provider somehow gets Longhorn Network. So... YouTube TV doesn't. That's for sure. Yeah, that's ridiculous. The existence Plus. of Longhorn Network is ridiculous, and I won't be sad to dis see it disappear when uh, they go to the SEC. No. But uh, for Longhorn Network, uh, we just have one more showing on Longhorn Network. That'll be for softball. And then after that, we're done. No more. No more Longhorn Network. Good riddance. Good riddance. But this game was definitely another another showing for heart attack clones because this game we were leading big at the half we held texas to 19 points at the half and then ended up being a nail biter towards the end yeah this this game in some sense was the it was it was the mirror image of that baylor game where we had the big lead we surrendered the big lead and then we closed it out at the end of the game after nearly giving the whole thing away now not everything was different the team not called Iowa State still got their coach teed up, which made it four in a row. 
four in a row where an opposing coach against us gets teed up. Mm-hmm. Rodney Terry got teed up. Now, since I wasn't able to see the game, uh, Longhorn Network, uh, Blake, you mind uh, telling us all what uh, that technical was even oh, for? No. Oh, I can really, I can really hear what it was for, but at that moment, all I all I heard was like a did it, did it, like the whist the whistle that there was a technical, like. Uh, then, then my watch party just shut up for a second. And then all we had to hear was the announcers say Rodney Terry, and then we just all we just all bursted in excitement because like that made four obviously, but we weren't really able to catch like what it was. I don't know if he said something. I don't know if he crossed the coaching line, like because it definitely wasn't it definitely wasn't anything like. like I haven't I haven't seen any clips like, on Twitter or anything like that, so I'm not. I'm not really sure either. Because it definitely wasn't on the levels of Kelvin Sampson against Oklahoma State. Mm-mm. But, uh, anyway, that was that was our first win in Austin since 2015. It had been a while. Yeah, and only third in program history. Yeah. Um, and the Moody Center is a tough place to play for pretty much any opponent. Texas generally does well at home. Very well. They tend to struggle on the road, but uh, at, at home they tend to be a very good team. Yep. Um, but uh, not not Tuesday night, and uh, the former Cyclone Tyrese Hunter did uh, did more favors for his old team than for his current team. <laughs> um, oh well. Oh for eight from the field, which means he was basically uh, a walking turnover. Walking tur- stop. <laughs> That's what he was. That's an accurate assessment. You are not wrong. No, I'm not. (laughs) You're not wrong. You know ball. That I do. Mm -hmm. Um, That's that's that that's why we do this. Um, (laughs) That's uh, that's that's, that's my job to know ball. You know, Uh, with. with Rob Jones, he he definitely didn't have a good showing, except except for one of the dunks he had, and uh, a putback dunk he had uh, in the first half, I believe. But uh, besides besides that, uh, not not a good showing. Uh, yeah, this mean, was definitely Bob's. Every player has some off games, and that happened to be Bob's off game. So yeah. this this was definitely Tame and Lipsy game. Yep. Uh, Milan Momchilovic too. Uh, I think I think Milan led with uh, with uh, thirteen, and then. Uh, Taman put more stats like besides points. Yep. Taman's a great distributor, so. Oh, very much. He makes everyone on the floor better. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, upcoming here for the men in the next week, uh, we'll be at or sorry, not at uh, TC. We'll be at home, uh, in James H. Hilton Coliseum, uh, tomorrow against TCU. And then later in the week, we will be taking a trip to Ohio and playing at Cincinnati. If you look on ESPN now, uh, it shows it shows the Team Out East logo that they'll be playing Cincinnati. I'm someone like, made a typo. Someone made a typo, and uh, someone's someone's probably not going to get fired. They're just they're just going to laugh it off. I was saying, yeah, no one's a... gonna get fired, but they're definitely gonna get laughed at by their boss. That's for sure. <laughs> um, you know, someone's gonna have a good uh, time with it. Uh, then team out east. Yep. 
the ladies, uh, they did not have a great last week here. They only had the one game in the last week, and they lost at the worst team in the Big 12. Really? Really? That's the one you had to lose at? Really? We're we're back to uh we're we're back to the discussion topic of our team is really young and they play like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, the freshmen especially, did not have a good have the best showing because it was mostly it was mostly Emily Ryan and Hannah Bellinger. Audie Crooks Audie Crooks uh was a little behind Emily, but this definitely wasn't Audie Crooks day either. And that, that's what happens when you have a young team because those young players are a lot more inconsistent. Uh, they're yeah. not always going to have those strong showings. And, you know, even when your veterans show up and uh, they, they do what they can to lead the way, when you have a team that's just that young, if you have uh, that many young players having a down day, you, you just won't win your game. So that's, and, uh, that's, that's what happened at uh, Edition Financial Arena down in Orlando. I think this is what Bill Fendley said back in Women's Cyhawk. Uh, like, was it something along the lines of "You better guess now," because because like the next few years it's going to be tough. Yeah, once this team's got some more experience, you know, once once Addie Brown and, and Kelsey Jones and Ariana Jackson and Jalen Bristow have a few years under their belt and they're upperclassmen, this is going to be a very good team. It's going to be a very uh, good, very dangerous team. Not to mention with UCF, this was surprisingly a Cyclone home court advantage. There were more, there were more uh, Iowa State people than UCF people. At least what I saw on the ESPN Plus stream. Yeah, not uh, not every school shows out for uh, for their ladies like we do out here at Iowa State. So, like, I mean, we're like, we're consistently it's, it's, we, we've consistently been top five in uh, women's basketball attendance. So it's it's basketball. It's like just show out, and there wasn't even a student section. It was just the band. Yeah, it, uh, it's a shame. Some some of the schools just don't care, but it is what it is. We do our part. We show out to the games here, and mm-hmm. uh, Cyclone Nation, you know, they they show out as a whole. So, you know that that lower bowl of Hilton Coliseum typically gets pretty full. Uh, we don't draw quite the quite the numbers that you know South Carolina or. Uh, or Iowa are game in, game out, but uh, <laughs> team out east. Dang, I, I said it, didn't I? <laughs> Shoot. Well, uh, we also in the next week here we got a couple games. Uh, both of them at home. Uh, first one's going to be versus Oklahoma. Uh, this will be this will be former Cyclone Aubrey Jones returns to ISU again. Sibling does rivalry Matt, between Aubrey and Matt, Kelsey. Recently, we heard that does Matt forgive Aubrey? Yes, I forgive does Matt Aubrey. Forgive Aubrey Jones? I, I I forgive Aubrey for transferring, and the uh, <laughs> so the, the the best part of this is so a while ago a few of our basketball players did an Instagram live with Aubrey, and um, at one point during this Instagram live, Aubrey told the other players not to transfer. So uh, hopefully they take uh, Aubrey's advice, and we don't have a transfer bug hit like we did last uh, last oh, yeah. year. So you know we uh, we can retain some talent out here in Ames. 
uh, you know, this is the best recruiting class that the one that just brought in the one's got all these freshmen right now. This was the best recruiting class that Fenley's brought in. You know, if they stay here and develop under him, they're gonna be a very good team here in a couple years. So it's uh, good stuff. But you know, of course, still got to stoke the sibling rivalry a little bit between uh, Kelsey and Aubrey. Be uh, is Kelsey is Kelsey the better Jones? Kelsey's the better Jones. So was Ashley. Ashley was the better Jones. Now, I mean, Ashley's, you know. Uh, so he's Ashley. A- a- Ashley's graduated now. So, you know, bye-bye, Ashley. Come back and visit Iowa State basketball sometime, please. <laughs> uh, uh, but after after Oklahoma, we got one against the very dangerous Kansas State. Yeah. Women's, um, far- women's Farmageddon. And K-State's a very good team this year. So yep. they have so. a very top. Uh, they have they have a high, very high ranked team. Uh, not not a lot of losses on the year. They're uh, they're looking like a title contender right now. So oh yeah, so very dangerous. I would uh, have them in my final four right now. So yep. Fortunately, we'll, we'll be playing at home for this first showing, and then uh, a couple weeks after that, we'll be on the road against them at Brown. Uh, when yep, Wednesday is also the day that we will see Cupid Sai. You'll see Cupid Sai with. It. With his bow and arrows on Valentine's Day. Interesting. That'll be a. Also, be a I didn't realize there was a Cupid Psy costume. He show, he shows up in the Valentine's outfit, and it's it's iconic every time. I, I forgot like, that this has, was a thing. Because you know it's only a one time a year thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. His arrows are just plungers, like just like. Well, yeah. I don't know. It's 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 iconic. Yep. Uh, the well, you know what's so iconic is Cy coming out in the uh, ref costume oh, with glasses yes, on. Yes. That's iconic. <laughs> Everyone just loves Cy, and he he knows the Cy vibe is of very game. lovable. He knows the vibe of every game. Cy really does. Cy always knows. Yep. Cy knows ball. Cy knows ball. Not as good as me, but Cy knows ball. <laughs> Uh, after women's basketball, we got lots of wrestling. We got lots of results of wrestling. Yes, uh, we had one duel in the last week here. It was a home duel against West Virginia. Uh, results from this one, I'll go bout by bout here. Uh, one twenty-five, uh, twenty-fifth ranked Kyson Tarakina won by decision over Jet Strickenberger. Uh, eighth ranked Evan Frost for Iowa State won by Tech Fall over Mason Mills in 3 minutes and 54 seconds. That's less than a minute into the second period, by the way. That's fast, and that's not even the best one of the night. Um, 141 pounds, 10th-ranked Jordan Titus for West Virginia uh, beat uh, Sam Rubovsky in his Iowa State dual debut uh, by major decision. Uh, at 149, 10th-ranked Casey Swiderski one in an upset against seventh-ranked Ty Waters in sudden victory. Now, in this one, uh, Swiderski came back from a 4-0 deficit in the third period, uh, got the takedown, and then uh, rode him out to earn that point, and then followed that up with a takedown in sudden victory, scoring seven straight points to win the bout 7-4. to And on that note, I mean, after a win like this, you look at Swiderski right now, and what an improvement he's made year over year. Uh, last year, you know, he started off hot before he cooled off mid-season, and he 
uh, struggled a bit at Big 12s, didn't advance very far at NCAAs. Uh, this year, it's been much more sustained, uh, looking like a very legitimate top 10 wrestler. He's in a good spot to be competing for uh, a place on the podium at NCAAs next month. I'm really excited to see what he can do. Uh, 157 pounds in the West Virginia duel. 13th ranked Cody Chittum beat Caleb Dowling by major decision. Uh, 165 pounds, second ranked David Carr defeat number 8th ranked Peyton Hall. This was David's 6th top 10 victory on the season. Uh, and uh, with this, this duel was the first one that I, I believe was the first one that he was ranked second in the nation and not uh, third or fourth. Um, but that was after following his victory uh, in his bout at Oklahoma State. Um, but yeah, sixth top ten victory on the season, only behind Keegan O'Toole now in the rankings. Um, at 174 pounds, 22nd ranked MJ Gaetan won by fall over 17th ranked Brody Conley in only 38 seconds. That was a major upset win. <laughs> uh, uh, can I can I interrupt for a second? Yeah, go for it. Uh, Kevin Dresser's Kevin Dresser's face like during like during that bout, it was like. And well, then, and then when he won, yes, but that was well, that's the thing is it looked like Gaetan was in bad position before he got that turn made and, and got the pin. Yeah, it def- it definitely looked that way too. It, it looked like he was in a tough spot, like he was about to uh, uh, give up a pretty nasty double leg, <laughs> but he was able to to get the headlock and turn, and yeah. uh, you know, thirty nine second or thirty eight second pin. That's that's pretty fast. Yeah. And it's like it, that's it's like you that's said. how that's how MJ wins in upsets when he does. He MJ Gaetan is a pinner. Um, and that's you know, he did that. He knew what he was going to have to do to get the upset, and he pulled it off perfectly. For that full thirty-eight seconds, I was like, I was like, stop, stop, stop. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Um, yeah. Kevin Dresser, Kevin Dresser in the background. Yep. Uh, we'll go to one eighty-four pounds here. Uh, 30th ranked Dennis Robin for West Virginia defeated Tate Nakaboran, uh in a major decision. This was Tate Nakaboran's, uh debut uh, with Iowa State. He's a freshman out here. Uh, at 197 pounds, West Virginia's Austin Cooley defeated 30th ranked Julian Broderson. Uh, after this one, Broderson would fall out of the rankings. Uh, and then at heavyweight, third ranked Younger Bastida tech falled Michael Wolfgram. Uh, Bastida gave up only his second takedown of the season in this duel. Um, but I wanted to mention before, so I said at 133, Evan Frost uh, beat Mason Mills in a tech fall in 3 minutes and 54 seconds. That's pretty fast. Bastida did it faster. He got his tech fall in 3 minutes and 49 seconds. Only so That's only 49 seconds into the second period he finished the yep. tech fall. That's but nuts. In, the, in this bout, he just, he just kept finding ways to get get uh takedown 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 that he did mm-hmm. um like uh he, he and, kept, and frost uh, relied on back points to get his tech fall yeah. uh he only uh, gave up uh evan frost only gave up uh one point in that entire one he, it was one escape that he allowed and after that he got another takedown and just you know uh went for, out so for bestida how many how many uh escapes did bestida give up uh, I don't recall. Well, he wasn't giving up escapes. Uh, he was a lot. He was letting him get back up. Well, yeah. 
But uh, uh, Mestida was making no attempt to ride him out because he didn't have to. Yeah, he he was he was like allowing he was allowing those escapes and then and then just getting back into business. Right. That's that's what I saw of him. Yep. And uh, coming up here on Sunday, home duel against UNI. This is the first time that UNI has come to Ames for a duel. Uh, well, for a duel against Iowa State, anyway. Uh, since 2021, I guess UNI was here earlier this year to wrestle Utah Valley uh, because of yeah. you know the snowpocalypse. Yeah. But uh, yes, the projected the projected highlight bouts for this duel here at 133 pounds, eighth ranked Evan Frost versus 24th ranked Julian Farber. Um, I would expect Frost to win this. Uh, 141 pounds. This one will be an interesting one. I'm very curious to see who throws out which wrestlers for this. Uh, it'll either be ninth-ranked Anthony Ekamendia or Zach Redding for us, and for UNI it'll either be sixth-ranked Kale Happel or Connor Thorpe. Uh, my expectation is that this ends up being Redding versus Happel because I think regardless of who we throw out there, Happel will be able to get a win. So I don't see them wanting to damage Ekamendia's record, and so I assume they'll throw out Redding. But they could decide to go with a top ten bout. We'll see what uh, we'll see what Coach Dresser ends up deciding to do with that. Uh, One fifty-seven pounds, fourteenth-ranked Cody Chittum versus fifteenth-ranked Ryder Downey, or against Caleb Elezhenchak. Um, assuming this one is Ryder Downey wrestling for UNI, this one I think should be the highlight of the duel. Two very closely ranked wrestlers. Um, I think Chittum is still overrated, especially the way he wrestled against. <laughs> Franick, I think he rightfully beat Franick, as I've mentioned here multiple times. I think that Chittum is a top ten wrestler. Um, I think that. Did you say over or underrated? Chittum is underrated. He's absolutely. I thought underrated. I heard overrated, but, but hey. If I said overrated, underrated. I misspoke. I have underrated written in the notes. Um, but yeah, definitely underrated. He absolutely should be top ten. Um, you know, he's he's been competing at a very high level, beating top ranked guys. Uh, the fact that he fell from 13 to 14 after winning by major decision is just absurd. Um, and I, I get it, other stuff happens with other wrestlers in the rankings on a week-in, week-out basis. But in, in my opinion, Chittum is a top-10 wrestler. And I, I think that he's proven that in competition. Uh, at 174 pounds, uh, we got 19th-ranked MJ Gaetan. Uh, he shot up a few spots in the rankings after that win. And he'll be wrestling 30th-ranked Jared Sima. This one uh, should be a good one, good opportunity for Gaetan to continue to uh, get quality wins. And then... Um... <coughs> Excuse me. 184 yeah. pounds. Should have... Uh... 8th-ranked Will Feldkamp or Tate Nakaborn versus the top-ranked uh, Parker Keckheisen. Now, for this one, I would be shocked to see Feldkamp take the mat for Iowa State. Uh, again, very high likelihood that Iowa State does not win this weight class. Parker Keckheisen is a fantastic wrestler. Um, and Feldkamp, there's no reason to just give him uh, an L. I mean, I would expect, the way things have been going right now, I would expect Parker Kekeisen to win the 184 weight class at NCAAs next month. So. No doubt on that. 
I, I don't think that there's anybody that's going to take him down. So, well, he might get taken down, literally, but uh, I don't think there's anyone that's going to end up defeating him, probably for the rest of the year. I think he can go through the entire year undefeated. Um, 197 pounds. This one's going to be an interesting matchup, specifically for me. Uh, this one will be now unranked Julian Broderson versus 23rd ranked Wyatt Volker. And the reason that this one's particularly interesting for me is uh, this one's got some hometown ties for me. Uh, me and Wyatt Volker both went to the same high school. Uh, you know, he's a year younger than me, and, you know, we've known each other for quite a long time, so. Um, you got to see him after the duel? I doubt that. I think um, you could. Say hi. Well, most of the time the visiting team doesn't come out to say hi. They just get uh, on the bus and go. They, well, we did uh, last year with you and I. Yeah, especially, especially if how especially how engaging with David Carr is like with literally right, but that's just that's high. just not what the general practice is though. Yeah, like like don't assume it based on an exception. I mean, maybe it happens, but I wouldn't assume it to to happen. Mm-hmm. And then that's and then for the last for the last weight class at heavyweight, third ranked younger Bastida uh, will be taking the mat against either sixteenth ranked Tyrell Gordon uh, or against Adam Arensen. I would think Aronson takes the uh, takes the mat for UNI. I don't think Gordon's going to be able to beat Bastida. Uh, Blake, softball season started. Oh, softball's back. Softball's Softball's back. back. Uh, We got some results Uh, already for that. Ladies have played a couple games. Yep, we've got some results from uh, uh, Mexico so far. Uh, The Puerto Vallarta College Challenge. That's what it is. Yep, and and. If I ever pronounce that right, I'll be so proud of myself. Puerto Vallarta. Puerto Vallarta. I've been there many times, man. That's like my, like I've been, I've been going ever since I was a kid. So I'm, I'm not even going to attempt to say it. <laughs> but uh, they had a win. They had a win in their first game against Utah Valley. Uh, it was a win in six innings, twelve to one, and they lost to uh, number eleventh ranked Duke in five innings, sixteen to three. So they got rolled. Really uh, they did get run ruled, uh, but after that they'll they'll be back tomorrow versus the seventh ranked Washington, and then Sunday versus Long Beach State. So Do you I know think, when their first home that'll... game is? They don't have they don't have a home game for a while yet. Yep, their first home game uh, will be mid March. It'll be during spring break, I, be- I believe spring break. Uh, okay, that makes I sense. I have the I have the thing I have the schedule pulled up here. I can actually see. Um... Yeah, but March, I, I know March fifteenth, March fifteenth, Friday. Okay. I know it's against Houston. Okay, you are right about that. Yes. Yep. And uh, we're only we're only eight days away from college baseball season starting. So uh, <laughs> on the off chance that Jamie Pollard ever actually hears this, we want baseball back, please. Or at least I do, and a lot of other people do. So I guess that is we. Just just give us baseball. We love baseball. Um, well, unfortunately, unfortunately, his focus is on Sightown, and before before he leaves Iowa State, he wants to renovate Hilton Coliseum. Yeah, which Hilton Coliseum does need some repairs. Sightown, um, mm-hmm. if it brings in revenue, then I guess it's a good. Or if it brings in more revenue than what it costs, then I guess it's a good project. But uh, it's I'm doubtful. I'm sorry, I'm I'm just doubtful of Sightown. 
duffel set down. Until it until it is successful, it isn't. So because think know. about this. I want the baseball. Biggest, the busiest time for Saitown will probably be football. Right. Other than that, like, from, like, that whole... Basketball. Skin. It'll get used for basketball, too. But then once basketball's done, it's like, what else is there? There's nothing in that town. Because guess what? Everybody leaves. Yeah. It, like, that's, uh... that's, that's just what's rough about it, is that, like... Well, the from... thing is, a lot, of the, a, lot of this, a lot of the money that athletics brings in from it is going to be tenant rent. And that's going to be steady income, regardless of whether people are there or not. I get it. Yeah, that's true. So what they want the revenue to go to is is like you've probably heard, but they want to they want to bring the revenue to uh, Iowa State Center, like the like the older buildings like Stevens Auditorium, Sheeman Building, and right? Because eventually, and well, then eventually Stevens Stevens is at a point now. If you look at the fascia on that building, that fascia needs replacement. <laughs> it does really bad. Mm-hmm. Stevens is still beautiful. It's beautiful on the inside. Oh, yeah. Starting to look a little rough on the outside. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, just a little bit, not a whole lot though. The fa- its the fascia. The concrete's doing just fine. The fascia's in in rough shape. Yeah. Uh, Blake, high speed winds. It's been windy outside okay. today. It's been windy recently, yeah. So as Vinny mentioned last week, uh, there was the showing at Boise State for gymnastics. Uh, we ended up losing that one. We uh, we had we had some faults uh, that that led to the loss. Uh, for the What's, sibling, can you rivalry, explain to me what a fault is in layman terms? Uh, like like faults, as in like you're on the bounce beam and then and then you fall off. That's oh, uh, so big so, time mistake. Yep, like big time mistake mistake that that like got some of our girl scores like down below eight. So. That's ultimately what led to the loss, but they'll be able to bounce back from that. Uh, as Vinny also mentioned, it was also a sibling rivalry between Hannah and Emma Loim from Boise State. I did, I did uh, get to talking with em- uh, Emma, Hannah. I talked, I talked with Hannah uh, a few days after the meet. She mentioned that uh, in the events that they both were in. Emma ended up scoring up, scoring higher than Hannah. So I was like, oh. All right. So that was sibling rivalry. Uh, Cyhawk tennis is coming up. Uh, I plan on, if I can, I plan on going to Urbadale to scope that out. Uh, swimming is also, that will be fun. Swimming is also coming back tonight uh, to Ames for the final showing, I believe. Uh, tonight and then tomorrow morning against Kansas. All right. Um, we've still got some pro stuff to talk about here. Uh, NBA just hit the trade deadline. and Oh, yeah. Of the three teams we cover, I predicted that the Timberwolves and the Bucks were the least likely to have any action and that the Bulls were going to try to do the most. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> um, but, Matt, but, Matt, I thought you knew ball. Well, the thing is, the Bulls had the most incentive to do something. Uh, their resources just kind of ran dry, and their front office has a tendency of not wanting to make a lot of trades. So that's just been a historical thing since uh, their front office had some got some new management a couple years ago. So that's uh, that's the way that's been. But uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves here uh, last week, loss win, loss win, 
they lost versus the Magic, uh, won versus the Rockets, uh, lost at the Bulls in overtime. Uh, but yay, go Bulls for me. Um, uh, the Timberwolves in that game led by as many as 23 points in the third quarter before their defense collapsed. Um, and then they did win at the Bucks, 129-105, to 105, where their defense kicked back in gear. And, uh, I mean, you hold the Bucks to 105, you're going to win because you're going to score points against the Bucks. Uh, the Bucks have no defense whatsoever. So, um, but the trade deadline stuff, that's where some of this big news is. And this one's big for Iowa State fans, too, because we got an Iowa State alum in this trade. Uh, Shake Milton, uh, Troy Brown Jr., and a 2030 uh, second-round pick went to Detroit in exchange for Monte Morris. Uh, this was about the one position that Minnesota uh, needed to pick someone up was to uh, get a guard to compliment Anthony Edwards uh, as, a distri- as a distributor and potential scorer, and Monte Morris can do that. You know, he's not the star player. That's not what they were looking for. Um, but he's going to be that uh, – he can be that role player for Minnesota, and this makes him a very dangerous team uh, in this back half of the season here. Um, so f- so for pro basketball in Minnesota, for Iowa State fans, so for Timberwolves, we got Monte Morris. And for the Minnesota Lynx, we got Bridget Carlton. So you got I- you got Iowa State all around. Yep. Um, and then upcoming here in the next week for the Timberwolves, uh, Monday they will be at the Clippers, and then Tuesday and Thursday they will have games at the Trailblazers. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks uh, in the last week here, they had a win at the Mavericks before losing three consecutive games uh, to the Jazz, Suns, and the Timberwolves. Bucks, and. What are you doing, man? These three consecutive losses caused the Bucks to fall out of first place in the Central. Um, they've gone totally cold recently since firing uh, Adrian Griffin. Uh, Doc Rivers has not gotten them there. Um, and the Cavaliers have now surpassed the Bucks in the Central. And the Bucks have fallen to the three seed in the Eastern Conference. We'll see if they continue this slide or not. But it's starting to look like the coaching change is not a very wise decision in Milwaukee. Um, as for the trade deadline, uh, the Bucks sent Robin Lopez to the Kings in return for cash and the draft rights to Demetrios Agravanis. Um, we'll see how this plays out. That's a bit of a risky trade. And then they also sent Cameron Payne and 2027 second round pick to the 76ers for Patrick Beverly. Uh, Beverly's been kind of a, a an individual rival with, with Damian Lillard, and now they're on the same team. They've had some friction in the past. We'll see what ends up happening with this. Um, but it right now, the uh, the Bucks are they're looking to make moves to improve their defense, and uh, Beverly might be the guy for them. We'll, we'll see what ends up happening with that. Uh, but upcoming for the Bucks here tonight, they will play the Hornets. And then Monday, they'll play the Nuggets. Tuesday, they will play the Heat. Thursday, they will play the Grizzlies. And then my Chicago Bulls. Uh, in the last week here, they lost versus the Kings 123-115 to 115 before uh, two wins. Uh, the first was the aforementioned OT win against the Minnesota Timberwolves, 129-103, uh, uh, not 103, 129-123. Uh, where they did come back from that 23-point deficit 
led by Kobe White, who dropped 30 points in the second half on way to a 33-point scoring night for him. Very quiet in the first half, and he came alive in the second, and the team rallied around behind him, and holy smokes, that was a fun game to watch. Fun comeback for the Bulls. Um, and shockingly, nothing happened for the Bulls at the trade deadline. Uh, they chose to retain uh, DeMar DeRozan, Andre Drummond, and Alex Caruso. Um, the Bulls are going to be looking to re-sign DeMar DeRozan following this season, uh, same as they did with Nikola Vucevic last year. Um, they uh, didn't really explore trade options with DeRozan at all. Uh, Andre Drummond and Caruso and Alex Caruso, they explored trade options a little bit, but ultimately decided not to do anything. Uh, they decided that where they were was the best place for the team as opposed to what they, they could get. And Zach Levine, they're still putting trust in Zach Levine is what they're saying. I just think that they weren't able to get a trade off because it's, you know, midseason trades are generally about what you can do that year. And uh, Zach Levine is out for the season, so the chances of them trading him midseason uh, were basically zero. So after, yeah, and he's getting season-ending uh, surgery on his foot. He'll be out uh, four to six months. Um, yeah, once that happened, his trade possibilities disappeared. But uh, upcoming here for the Bulls in the next week, tomorrow they'll be playing at the Magic, Monday at the Hawks, Wednesday at the Cavaliers, and then Thursday they will return to the United Center and play the Boston Celtics. All right, Vinny, we're at your favorite sport now. Time to talk some hockey. Let's do it. So we'll talk about the Wild first. Uh, in the previous week, they only had one game against the Blackhawks, which we all know. I mean, we don't even have to say what it was. We already know what the final deficit was. But just for shit, but just for fun, we'll just say it was a win, two to one against the Blackhawks. There was really nothing special about this game. It was just another, another, just game for the Hawks to lose. So any any more, if you're a team playing the Blackhawks, it's just a a, a glorified practice that goes on your record as a win. Oh yeah, um, but upcoming they have they play tonight against the uh, Penguins. Uh, Monday they'll be at Vegas for the Golden Knights, and Wednesday they'll be heading to Arizona for the Arizona Coyotes, where they'll play in the College Arena. Yeah. <laughs> um, now we move to my team and the easily the worst team in the league. And 14, it's not even close. They've definitely surpassed no. the Sharks as the worst team in yes, the league. Yes. Yes. 14, 35 and 2, 30 points, last in Central, the Chicago Blackhawks. Which I'm looking at this. Their losses are almost triple what their wins are. Yep. That's embarrassing. Yep. Only 30 uh, points at this point in the season is really bad. Yeah. Like, it's, I mean. You shouldn't fight your coach now, but you need to start looking at some changes. A lot. I, it might be an, an after the season is done kind of thing. Yeah, probably. But they only had one game. Just lost against the Wild, of course. Uh, this is actually the first of five games in a homestand for them. Uh, the linear broadcast was over on TNT. And this supposed to be a national exposure for Connor Bedard. And, uh, well, that didn't happen. No, didn't happen. That and that was just a national embarrassment for the Blackhawks is what it was. And after reading an article here, it looks like um, that 
looks like Coach Luke Richardson says that Bedard won't be back anytime soon. No, that's, that's been surgery. known. That, that's been known that he wasn't going to be back for a while. But it was the, the initial recovery time was six to eight weeks, and we're coming up on that six week. So, but I guess he just is saying, you know, let's just keep him a little bit longer. Yep. But upcoming tonight, in uh, continuing the homestand, they'll play the Rangers, Canucks, and Penguins. Tuesday against Canucks, and Thursday against the Penguins. Yep. And then uh, the St. Louis Blues here. Uh, in the previous week with the uh, All-Star break being what it was, they had a completely empty schedule. So not a whole lot to review here for the Blues. But uh, this coming week here, they'll be they'll be busy. Saturday at the Sabres, this one's going to be a linear broadcast over ESPN. It'll be simulcast on ESPN+. Uh, and St. Louis, actually, I realized as I was looking at their schedule here, they've got a lot of national broadcast games remaining. They've got 11 national broadcast games still remaining. Dang. That's that's more than what Anaheim had on the entire year. Anaheim had like two on the entire really? season. Yeah, it wasn't much. But wow. then again, Anaheim wasn't expected to be much. Uh, they weren't expected to draw much in the way of eyeballs. They can't even fill the duck pond right now. So, uh, but yeah, uh, they still have na- 11 nationally broadcast games remaining. Seven are controlled by ESPN. They're going to be the ones that are done on ESPN or the ABC with the ESPN Plus simulcast, or the the Hulu and ESPN Plus simulcast. Uh, And then St. Louis will also have four more games yet on TNT. So there's going to be a lot of chances yet to watch the Blues if that's your team and you don't have uh, Valley Sports Midwest. Um, And then also on top of that game at the Sabres, the Blues will have a game Sunday at the Canadiens, Tuesday at the Maple Leafs, and then they'll return to the Enterprise Center on Thursday to play the Oilers. Uh, we got more action in the MLB offseason here. Uh, right-handed pitcher Daniel Duarte was uh, claimed by the Twins off waivers from the Rangers. Uh, the Rangers had initially acquired him uh, in a trade with Cincinnati. But last last year, Duarte, uh, 3.69 ERA, 211 opponent batting average. And Ryan Jensen was DFA'd to make room on the 40-man roster uh, for the Twins. Uh, they also signed first baseman Carlos Santana to a one-year five-and-a-quarter million deal. Uh, this adds first base depth with Alex Kirilov and Jose Miranda, both of whom uh, were a little bit injury-prone last year, especially Miranda. But Kirilov functions more as a utility player anyway. He's you know He gets usage in the outfield as well. So... It'll be uh, good to have another big bat because Carlos Santana can hit. And uh, they also signed, they did a little bit more uh, depth beyond that with their bullpen here. Uh, They added right-hand pitcher Jay Jackson to a one-year, $1.3 million deal uh, with a $3 million club option uh, in 2025. Uh, And then they added right-hand pitcher Zach Weiss. They claimed him off of waivers from the Red Sox. And last year he played in 12 games. Uh, in relief between the Angels and the Red Sox, uh, averaging or and he had a 3.21 ERA last year. Uh, the White Sox for their offseason activities, they they uh, took a little bit different path than most teams in this last week, um, where not only did they make some personnel changes, uh, they released their renderings of the potential new stadium at the at the 78. At, uh, they've been floating the idea around of now again none of this is actually concrete set in stone it's just you know concept art basically um 
but they look like they're wanting to basically create a, a separate Wrigleyville on the south side. And from these renderings, it looks beautiful. I would love to see it, so. And the, the ballpark itself would just, it would be gorgeous. It would be a palace for them. Um, but they did make some some uh, regular, you know, off-season type activities, too, with the personnel changes. Uh, they dealt right-handed pitcher Gregory Santos to the Mariners, and in return, uh, they got a younger uh, right-handed pitcher in Perlander Baroa. Uh, they also got outfielder Zach Deloach and the 69th pick in the 2024 MLB draft. Um, this is actually going to give the Mariners a nasty bullpen with Santos and then Andres Munoz and Matt Brash. Uh, I would not want to be... If you're not going to get a lead early against Seattle, good luck. Um, you're going to have a tough time coming back late against Seattle this year. Uh, AL West teams beware. And then the White Sox also dealt uh, Christian Menya to the D-backs. Uh, outfielder Dominic Fletcher will be coming to Chicago in return. Uh, Blake... We got a little bit of action with the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, they oh signed God. they signed right hand pitcher uh, Jacob Eunice. one year seven Two. million, one year seven million for Jacob Eunice. and it's pending a physical, um, yeah. but and and he's more of a reliever than a starter, um, but I, I, it wouldn't shock me if the Brewers try to move him back to being a starter. He started a couple games. He started a little bit in San Francisco with the Giants. Um, but he's, I think the idea is that he's going to be a depth add since the Brewers just dealt Corbin Burns to the Orioles last week. So that uh, that's the news in Milwaukee. Um, what do we got for Cubs? Uh, yes, for the more popular team in Chicago. Uh, more popular team. They are more popular. They're a much bigger brand than the, oh. than the White Sox. Uh, but uh, relief pitcher Michael Rucker was dealt to the Phillies in return for cash. Um, and then for the Cardinals, uh, right-handed pitcher uh, Kenyon Middleton was signed to a $6 million one-year deal. Uh, he's their 10th pitching addition uh, in this offseason, so they've got a very crowded bullpen right now. Uh, someone's probably getting waived before too long. Um, and Middleton's also got a 2025 club option. Uh, for six million, and then there's a one million dollar buyout on that. So he's gonna be, he he's gonna be paid five million, uh, in 2024 here, uh, but his contract guarantees six. Uh, that's all we got though for the show today. Follow the Cornfield Sports Pod on Twitter at C Sports Pod. Uh, Blake, where can they find you at? You can find me at Blake Attack One Eight Four Six. Where can they find Vinny? You guys can find me at VinaciousD23. Think of Tenacious D, but just replace 10 with Vin at 23. And, of course, you can find me at The Menson Minute. Uh, tap the follow button on Spotify, the plus button on Apple. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube and on Rumble. This is Blake Peterson. I'm Matt Menson. And I'm Vinny Cataldo. And this has been the Cornfield Sports Pod.